Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbrey is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Well, this is it. This is the show that's finally going to push everybody off their rockers and off the edge and make everybody go crazy. This is the one, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. I am your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. Thank you for clicking on your favorite podcast hosting site. Or, for those of you that come to the home station, at perception.fireside.fm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And a big way that you can help the show out is to share the links. Tell people, hey, listen to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbury. Listen to the podcast at perception.fireside.fm. You can find it on iTunes, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and every other major podcast hosting site. We're out there everywhere. This is going to be a pretty controversial show. Here's the deal. I've been saying for the last, oh, really since about May, that I was going to have a big name. I want to say special guest, because that's what I call everybody, a special guest on the show. And some people are going to be like, well, he's not special. And you really shouldn't say that. I appreciate everybody that takes the time to come on the show, everybody that will talk, And everybody's perspective, whether we agree with them or disagree with them or you agree with me or disagree with me, the fact that everybody takes some time and comes on, answers questions and talks to us, we all learn from that. So I'm going to say it and you're going to like it or you're not going to like it. And that's that. And I can understand it. And if you don't like it, I appreciate you not liking this person. I appreciate you having issue with his policies. I am perfectly okay with you not liking his politics or anything else. I'm okay with all of that. This is politics. We don't always agree with the people that we might be talking to, and you should be able to have civil discourse. So today on the podcast, we welcome the 33rd mayor of the city of Muncie, Indiana, Democrat Mayor Dennis Tyler. Dennis Tyler grew up on the south side of Muncie, Indiana, and graduated from Muncie Central High School. He then was hired into the Muncie City Fire Department as one of the youngest firemen ever to serve in the city of Muncie. He then served 42 years, retiring at the rank of line captain for the city fire department. 
Tyler, a lifelong Democrat, rose through the ranks of the Delaware County, Indiana Democratic Party, becoming party chairman. Tyler was caucused to fill the vacated seat of Tiny Adams due to Tiny Adams' untimely death, and from January 4, 2006 through December of 2011, served in the position as District 34 State Representative. On January 1, 2012, Tyler was sworn in as the 33rd mayor of the city of Muncie. Mayor Tyler ran for re-election unopposed in 2015, and upon starting his second term, was almost immediately embroiled in controversy and scandal as his administration and other city governmental offices, along with the Democrat Party, which we all refer to as 214, and local businesses tied in with the city government, were targets in a federal investigation led by the FBI and the Department of Justice, which was also inquiring about use of force in police brutality cases dealing with the Muncie City Police Department. With Mr. Tyler's second term ending in December of 2019, and basically a lifelong public service and political career coming to an end, it's been something that I've wanted to do for a while to talk with him and see what information I could get. Mayor Tyler has a very adversarial relationship with the media in the city of Muncie and Delaware County. And or I should say the media in the city of Muncie and or Delaware County has an adversarial relationship with him. And, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing, a bad thing. I have opinions and thoughts, and I'm sure that you are all very capable of going back through my social media and through my other podcasts and live video feeds and seeing what my thoughts and opinions of Mayor Tyler and the administration is. Matter of fact, I'm more than willing to tell everybody what my thoughts are. That being said, I am a political commentator. Mayor Tyler is a political figure, and I am very interested in what he has to say, how he approaches interviews. I sent out a request for an interview in April or May, and we've been going back and forth on this for a while now, and... A couple weeks ago, I got the letter that he would be willing to sit down and talk with me. I will say this. This is the first interview that I have done with somebody of this stature that I did not send them the questions ahead of time. And I want to make sure that we are very clear on that. I did not have to have my questions approved. I did not send him my questions ahead of time. And he is going into this interview blind. I want everyone to be 100% sure that this is not a gotcha interview. I didn't bust in the door and say, hey, where's all the criminals at? What's going on? Of course, had I done that, it would have been something that he would have ended immediately. In the situation that I'm in, in this job, in this position that I'm in, 
I have to create a dialogue, a relationship, and there has to be give and take back and forth. I will absolutely call anybody out that I feel that deserves it. And I have called out Mr. Tyler in the past, and he's aware of that. And as I said, we have had an adversarial relationship. I want to say for the record, I have known Dennis Tyler for 30 plus years. He has known me. And that is that. There have been things that I have agreed with him on. There have been a lot of things that I have disagreed with him on. That, however, did not stop me from wanting to do an interview with him and bring that interview to you all. So, without much further ado, after this quick break, we're going to get into the interview with Mayor Tyler. I please, please, please would ask you all to listen to the entire interview and absolutely feel free to give me critiques, to tell me you don't like it, to tell me you did like it, to tell me what I did right, to tell me what I did wrong. And I'm sure I'll hear a lot of what you all thought I did wrong. If you're not interested in hearing from Mr. Tyler or hearing this, I love you all, every single person that clicks onto my podcast and listens to this show and the episode every Tuesday and every Saturday. I love each and every one of you listeners. I thank you all for clicking on and listening and for spreading the show. But there is no harm and no foul in skipping over this one. This is episode 34. You can always go back and listen to episode 33 or an older show. You can go back and listen to the first episode ever or any of the other 33 episodes that we've had. I will not hold it against you. We will have a new episode out Saturday, which will be episode 35. So there's no harm and no foul in skipping over this one if you don't want to hear it. However... That doesn't really equate with what we're trying to do here. I'm not saying that we should get all Republicans in and it should be dictators and we should just have no Democrats and no communication. That's not part of being an engaged citizen who is trying to better the local government. That's not at all what we are trying to do here. So there is value in this. There is value in listening to this man and any man or woman that you agree with or disagree with. There is a lot to learn here. So without any further ado, after this quick break, we are going to come back talking to the 33rd mayor of the city of Muncie, Dennis Tyler, and we're going to see what he's got to say, see where... We go from here, and we'll see what kind of dialogue we open up. You're listening to Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey. Now we go on the record with a one-on-one interview designed to engage, entertain, or enrage you. Perception is Reality. On the record. Joining us on today's episode, we have Mr. Dennis Tyler, the mayor of the city of Muncie, 
Thank you for being with us, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. As we sit here in the end of August 2019, we're staring down the last four months of your second term in office as mayor. And although we have a few things that I definitely want to get to, I do want to talk to you just a little bit about where you came from, how you got to this point, and just go over, I guess, what we might consider a little bit of legacy of what you are going to be leaving behind and what the history books are going to say about your time in office. And so for those that might not know you or that are listening from outside of Muncie or East Central Indiana or even the state of Indiana, why don't we go through a little bit of biography? Tell us who you are and how you became the 33rd mayor of the city of Muncie. We didn't get this out of the way before, but is it okay to call you Chris? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks. for And, and thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Yo. I'm a Muncie kid. I've been very blessed to be where I'm at today compared to where I was early on in life from at one time a single mother and government housing at Middletown Gardens. And anybody that's familiar with the city of Muncie knows very well where Middletown Gardens is. And then meeting a, a wonderful, wonderful man that worked at what was called Warner Gear at that time. And then uh, being able to be the second youngest member that ever became employed with the city of Muncie Fire Department in 1977 or 1965. I'm sorry. <laughs> 1977 was when they changed the uh, Public Employees Pension Act. I had the opportunity, Chris, to serve 42 and a half years. During that time, I served in a lot of different positions on the fire department, from a back-end man to a driver sergeant, driving the aerial equipment, driving the snorkel, driving what we called number two squad at that time, and it's still number two squad, and then in the Fire Prevention Bureau for a couple, three years, and back, and then a line captain the last 20 plus years. Tiny Adams, mm -hmm. that was also a retired firefighter, was in the Indiana General Assembly and became ill and unfortunately passed. The uh, Delaware County Democrat Party, through the proper process, had the, the uh, responsibility of appointing somebody to finish a Tiny's uh, two-year career. And then I did that and then I ran and I, I ran uh, uh, successfully three different times to serve as the uh, state representative for about 92% of the city of Muncie. Was very happy doing what I'd been doing. After Tiny's passing, I had a number of people contact me from labor unions and and uh, veterans associations and seniors and just people on the street asking me to consider running for mayor. And I just told them that I was perfectly happy serving as a member of the General Assembly and that if uh, the uh, person that had ran prior to that against my predecessor that I eventually ran and beat was running again, then I would be supporting them. Well, things changed for them in their personal life, and they made the decision to not run again. And unfortunately, by the, the way that I'd made my comments to people that if he didn't <laughs> run, then I may pretty much put me in a position that I had to make a pretty tough decision. Right. So I sat down with my wife and my children, and we decided to run for mayor, and, and we are successful. And here we are today. It's been a... Uh, uh, really, in, in many ways, it's been a great eight years. It's just been another opportunity for me to serve the citizens of Muncie in a, another very special way. We've had many, many good days. We've had some tough, bad days, and everybody knows what they are. It's been a blessing to serve the citizens of Muncie, uh, my family and I. And But I can also tell you I'm looking forward at 76. I'll be 77 at the end of my term. Looking forward to spending more time with, with my children. Legacies are... 
things that people like to talk about. Uh, I've never really thought a lot about legacies. I've talked to different people. A lot of times, I I guess, you know, if if I had to get really serious about legacies, I, I think one of the things that I'm probably proudest of is the work that we've done in assisting people with special needs and disabilities and people that have challenges in their lives and and, uh, where we've came as a community to making it a better place to live, work and play and a better quality of place in life and helping people with disabilities, you know, whether it's our downtown hotel and uh, the Erskine Green Training Center that's a part of it, working with Hillcroft Center and what they're doing for people with autism and spatial needs and and other organizations throughout the the city. When you're talking about legacies and all those types of things, yeah, there's just, uh, there's so many different things that you can talk about, you know, and what might be important to you, Chris, is a legacy moment may not be important to somebody on the sure. other end of town. And Absolutely. That's, that's that's always a big part of the conversation is what is important. Yeah. Another thing I'm really, really extremely proud of, and, and we don't talk about it maybe as much as we should, there was just an article in the Muncie Journal the other day about the dam removals of oh, yeah. White River yep. and how clean White River has became over the last 20 years. And I, I, I'm very happy for the city of Muncie to have been a part of that and, and doing things in our environment and clean water and, it's, and some of the things that we're doing along White River to redevelop it and make it a very spatial place for the city of Muncie and then uh, always knowing that White River and, and, and the, the land right along the river is free and open to everybody as the Greenway is. And, and uh, so there's a lot of special things that, that the, the heck of it is, is I know you don't have that long. And, and, uh, uh, I, no, I, could, I could talk about the city of Muncie and the people here for hours. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's no, that's a good place to to begin and, and to talk real quick about White River. That okay. I, you have definitely, there's definitely been a change. You're exactly correct there. I can remember being eight, nine, and ten, and and my father saying that you know it was a joke. You know he, oh, yeah. he was going to dump me off in White River. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You know whatever. And now it's something yeah. that people go and actively are fishing in and playing in and canoe. You know uh, kayaking. So it yeah. it definitely has been a large turnaround. Yeah. Um, let's back up here real quick we do have a couple things to talk about with firebase ems and, and things that i know that people are interested in but just real quick you talked about what you look back or you 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 will look back on and think we're good and that you hope that the community does let's talk about some of maybe your goals coming in from the mcshirley administration to yours when you came in i mean did you accomplish what you hope to accomplish what you know are there things that you had a list did you have something in mind or you know where where were you then from where you are now yeah, yeah that's a good question and i and i've had a lot of really good people ask me that question i didn't have any super high expectations to be honest with you chris because you know when we came into office the unemployment level was about 11.2 percent in the city of muncie the infrastructure was eroding in many different areas particularly in south side area the eastern sector of the city of Muncie and the northeastern eastern sector of the city of Muncie, knowing that all of these things had to be accomplished somehow or another to begin to change if we're going to really talk about quality of place and quality of life, understanding and looking at the work over the previous years of some 
very special foundations that are located right here in Muncie and Delaware County. And how can we partner with them to, to try and get some things done? One of the things that I learned when I was in the General Assembly, Chris, is the importance of P3 programs, and that's public-private partnerships. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed that public-private partnerships can work and should work and that the public side, which is the government sector, needs to be able to work with the private sector partnerships, but we can't shirk our responsibility in how we get that done. Absolutely. And how to to figure out how how do we make that work. And one of the things that I'd like to say with big kudos, and and I do it every chance I get, is I really believe that we're about five years ahead of where I thought we would be. And a lot of that goes to the foundations that we have here. The foundation's involvement in our community through the, in the areas that I represent as mayor has just been phenomenal. Right. And they've they've really bought into quality of place and quality of life and, and, and uh, how do we help our children? How do we help our schools? What do we do to make the trails better? What do we do to make White River better? Uh, sure our infrastructure better for people with with challenges and disabilities and and all of that. It just seemed like it just started falling into place when people really wanted to work together. And it worked very well. Very good. So coming in from your first term into the second term, you didn't have a challenger. Right. So that's always a first time in the history of the city of months. That's always an amazing thing. I mean, I guess you could take that as, you know, Everybody was fairly happy with what happened during the first term. Do you have any regrets from the first term? Anything that you didn't accomplish? I mean, knowing that you're coming into a second term without much of a fight, yeah. you didn't wasn't really concerned. Yeah. You know, was there any regrets? Or I guess as you said today, is there anything that you regret that you you didn't get done or didn't yeah. have the time to do? No, you know, we uh, from early on, you know, looking at our downtown, I knew that we needed to put some pretty special people and some programs in place to continue to revitalize the downtown. If you look at any rebranding cities and towns across the country, not just in in the state of Indiana, but anywhere. Most of it starts right in the heart of your downtown. All the studies that I that I had the opportunity to, to read when I was in the General Assembly and look at and prepare to become mayor, you have to have a vital downtown. There evidently was a reason one time or another, and nobody's ever been able to explain to me why there was a time when Muncie decided that we didn't need a downtown. We could move to the rural yep. areas, and we didn't need a downtown to be vital anymore. And, and I wasn't ever a part of those decisions, so right. I can't explain them. But none of that ever made any sense to me. So we we did de- make a determination with other elected officials that we've got to invest in our downtown. And then as we invest in our downtown and we find the funds for it, then we can use that to migrate out into our neighborhoods and work with our neighborhood associations to create opportunities out there. It wasn't easy. But it was an exciting challenge and and being able to work. I think that we probably accomplished just about everything that I hope to accomplish in the first four years. And we did that always struggling in the state of Indiana, as all cities and towns do with the property tax caps. And how do we work around them, public-private partnerships. That's uh, about the only things left that the state provides local cities and towns for development is either tax abatements or edit dollars or TIF dollars. And so you got to get pretty creative sometimes. Absolutely. And we 
I think we've been very fortunate in, in doing that and was able to carry that over into our, our second term. You know, the first two years, we was able to qualify for a Tri-City grant application that we we won a significant amount of money in a partnership with Anderson and Newcastle in the city of Muncie for a Tri-City grant application that gave us the opportunity to, to apply for millions of dollars at the federal level. We wasn't successful, but where we were successful, Chris, that I think was so important was we were able to incorporate into that with our consultants that you have to have to take the second yeah, level. Right. Is we brought into White River Canal development and some other developments that we were able to build on, even though we weren't successful in that second sure. round of those grants. And uh, that's been a big part of how we've tried to move forward in the second term of our administration. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. In the first term, you had a city council that worked with you Mm -hmm. more so Mm -hmm. than what it appears as though they do now. Did you are a Democrat and you had a Democrat council. Yeah. You are still a Democrat yeah. and you still have a Democrat council. Yeah. And in term number two and specifically mm-hmm. these last two years, mm-hmm. it seems like that has fallen apart. From your point of view, do you have an understanding of what's happened there? I think some of it became very personal and politics are always personal sometimes, Chris, unfortunately. Sometimes personal agendas take the place of what's best for the citizens that you're serving and trying to represent. And I think that's exactly what happened. And I don't think I need to call out any names sure. or mention any names. I think it's been pretty evident who is, has fought this initiative and, and who has supported it. And uh, and that's that's what happens sometimes when things get personal. From there, we're talking about fire-based EMS. This is not – it's not something new. That's, it's First of all, the, the idea is not new. No. A lot of cities, Muncie size, larger cities, smaller, have this – program sure um so if you were telling me from your point of view or telling the listeners removing all the politics and all the council and this and that if you were telling me for the first time what what are you attempting to do through firebase cms good question it's going to take some time sure for us to get through this i guess the first part of it is chris is that for what we're trying to do with this firebase dms and it's not actually firebase dms it, it's a bls which is basic license for and sometimes that's where the, the, the conversation gets blurred. Right. But that's okay. 94% of the cities and towns the size of Muncie, Indiana, across the United States are doing this. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that if 94% of the cities and towns that are responsible for providing those types of services in their community are doing it, there's got to be a pretty good reason. And it can't be politics. It's because it's the right thing to do. Sure. Again, I served 42 and a half years on the fire department. And not everything that always happened there did I agree with. Let me just give you an example. I was still on the fire department when we voted to implement a first responder program. Now, as long as I'd been on the fire department, Chris, I thought that was a crazy idea. None of it made any sense to me. I thought it was nuts. And I'm sitting there as a line captain responsible for the entire south side of Muncie every day that I'm on duty and the the men and women that, that I have under me. It didn't make any sense to me. I voted against it. But within six months, I knew that I'd made a mistake. Once I saw it implemented and what it was doing, I knew that I had made a mistake. So now we 
come forward. I was in the Indiana General Assembly, and then I was mayor. I could clearly see that we had areas in our community. Didn't have anything to do with who was providing the services sure. in our city that they were allowed to, to do by a 1977 ordinance. Right. Didn't have anything to do saying that they were doing something wrong, that they were doing something improper. It was a way for us to improve that program in our communities, particularly in underserved areas. Right. And I could see it constantly. And then I heard it. And I tried to talk about this in that finance committee mm-hmm. hearing that we had, and you was there that day, of going to churches going during Black History Month and, and having forums in, in the black community, uh, going to neighborhood associations, talking to, to parents, talking to seniors, I could tell that there was an underserved area in our community that we could provide these services to one because we had the manpower, we had the buildings, all we needed was the equipment. We had the EMTs, we have everything that we need other than the equipment to provide these services. It doesn't take anything away from the people that are already providing them. Every day they call people in from outside the city of Muncie to come into the city of Muncie in an emergency response. Why wouldn't we be better served to be able to provide that in those certain areas? Yeah. If you remember, I tried to explain that to the finance committee chairperson and I was called down by her, and she used this study to show and tried to make the, the play that I didn't know what I was talking about because she, re, re, she referred to a picture on page 74. Well, if you remember, I tried to explain, mm-hmm. and I wasn't allowed to do that. Well, if you just come back three pages, here you see everything that we were talking about and where we wanted to provide those services. It was all there. And it was just as simple as simple could be. Then I can show what you see here for runs for people over 65. When you look at the number of them and look at where they're at, it's simple to see those are underserved areas and that it can be self-sustainable. And again, it wasn't talking about anybody else. Yeah. Like they've talked about us. Right. In trying to come up with solutions. And Chris, I've got the documentation to show this in 2013. I tried to come up with solutions and resolutions that would help the city and the county continue to provide these services only in, I think, a more equitable way right. that made sense for everybody and that everybody could win to no avail. Had the doors slammed in my face every time I tried to get it done. And one of the straws that broke the camel's back was less than two years ago when I was in negotiations with the county mm-hmm. and with the city, with my city attorney, the president of the city council, and county commissioners and their attorneys and the director of EMS. And they told us they wasn't willing to work with us on anything and we could do whatever we want to do. They make no money here. They, they, they could care less what we do with it. I made the recommendation if that's the case, and why don't you come to the city council and tell them that and ask them to do something? Well, they never did. Right. Which tells me all I need to know, Chris, <laughs> right. is that they weren't being honest with sure. us. I know this is the right thing to do. Right. We went out 
and did something that would be no different than a political campaign. We had pl- people that went out and firefighters that went door to door in these areas to talk to these people. And once they saw and understood what we was trying to do, not what they read, but what we were trying to provide, they all 100% said this is the right thing to do for our community. We tried to provide all that information to the media. They weren't interested in it for whatever right. reason. Uh, mm-hmm. The meeting that you're talking about is the two-day finance committee meeting that they did on yes. this back in June. I will link that for those listening. If anyone wants to go on, the city of Muncie did record those meetings. I will link those recordings in the description of this episode so that you can watch those if you so choose. Also, for the record, the finance chair is a councilwoman, Nora Powell. Just for the record. Going back, sometimes you just have to do the right thing. And, and I know that in the political year, That's not always easy, but sometimes you just have to do the right thing. And if this isn't the right thing, then show me. You know, the the finance committee report that was presented at the August 5th city council meeting, not one time did it ever say it was the wrong thing to do. And here's another thing I can tell you. That was not a unanimous vote from the finance committee to do that report that night. Right. I did some research after the meeting. We were blindsided by that. We were not given any type of heads up. They didn't give us any of that report to look at, which is really too bad because at the end of the day, if you're trying to improve the lives with the citizens in the city of Muncie, one of the ways that you could do that is by providing more basic first responder services. And there's a way to do this, and it's very sustainable. And it's not, and when I say sustainable, I don't mean it's sustainable because taxpayers are going to be on the hook for this. It's simply sustainable because the fees will be there to sustain it. It pays for itself. Yes, sir. So that's yes, sir. that's what you're doing there. Yes. You know, and that's one of the things I always harp on on here is that it's the the mayor has you know very limited responsibility. Uh, remove trash, snow removal, police, fire protection, yeah. and so and, you know economic development, bring business in, do what you can, make the city beautiful, yeah. whatnot. But those are the four ba- you know basic police protection, fire protection, the safety of the citizens, and if you can do that without mm-hmm. just absolutely breaking people yeah. you know there's no reason to not do that yeah and uh, I, I i do want to say for the record i've looked at all these numbers i've talked to a lot of people i have talked to people from the county i've talked to a lot of muncie firemen mm-hmm. and my view and opinion is fire-based bls mm-hmm. service should move forward I, at the very beginning of this was it got sold to me as this was you know all the county ems was going to lose their jobs i respect the guys from the county ems I know you respect those EMS. I know right now County EMS is down to almost bare bones to begin with, you know, right. before anything's happened. Right. So that's their deal mm-hmm. now. But I was not anti this. I was just like it needed to make sense. Sure. And it does make sense to me moving sure. ahead with this. And I've been trying to present the, you know, remove emotion and present fact, mm-hmm. you know, is the number one thing that you got to do here. Well, you know, and I'm not trying to buddy. No, you're fine. Go that's, I think that's so important, Chris, is to understanding the truth of this, is getting to the facts and getting beyond the emotion. Again, this isn't about saying that somebody else isn't doing their job or isn't right. doing their job as professionally and that as they possibly can. It's for me, under my sworn 
obligation and my police chief and my fire chief to provide additional services if we can within the city of Muncie. Absolutely. That helps make us all safer and, and healthier. And what you've tried to do is get and understand the information that's provided to you. One of the things that I did, Chris, and I tried to provide this to other elected officials. And, you know, sometimes if you want to be against something and you really want to be against it, you're always going to find a reason to be against it, right? Yep. It doesn't make any difference what's provided to you. You're always going to find a reason to be against it. When they didn't like the numbers that I put together in my fire, I went out and I brought in professionals to bring in those numbers. Then we do this study on every time. We brought in more and more information and more information. It always ended up it wasn't enough or it wasn't right. We used two different financial consultants to run the numbers that we were getting just on what's available here right? to show that it's sustainable. If all of that works and you can show sure. it, why are you against this if it's not personal? I never in my years in the General Assembly and, and listen, I know people don't like me. There's people that don't like me. There's people that like me. I get all that. But there's never been an issue like this that I voted personally. I always tried to do what was best for the citizens that that I served. And will this work for them? And will this make things better for them? And that's really all it is at the end of the day. Sure. Well, and, you know, politics to me is a lot like the interpretation of the law. You know, you, you ask... You ask 10 different attorneys their interpretation on a basic Indiana code, and you're going to get 10 different interpretations. Always. And politics, you're going to, you know, Republicans yeah. and Democrats disagree. Democrats disagree with Democrats. That uh, that happens. Do you, your interpretation of how you have done what needed to be done um, housekeeping-wise, mm-hmm. uh, you feel confident that you you guys didn't take this before the city council or it went before the Board of Works. You mm-hmm. feel, as in your interpretation, that you've done everything that you've needed to do the proper way, as far as that goes. Yeah, and that's a good question again, Chris. I believe that we have. Here's where this thing gets dicey and difficult. If you have those elected officials, and you mentioned the city council, that you know are against this, but they don't know why they're against it. We know which ones are against it because it's personal. And and we know that they have an agenda. The other ones, I'm not sure they even know why, other than it's an election year. And I've tried to work with all of them. Every single one of them has been talked to by firefighters and other public safety officers and other people in the community. Here's what I was taught back when I was in the Indiana General Assembly by a gentleman by the name of Bill Crawford that's no longer with us that was the longest reigning African American in the history of a General Assembly in the United States and just a great guy and he told me Representative Tyler if you can't find a law and you're trying to help people and you can't find a law that tells you you can't do it then you go forward until somebody creates a law that, that says you can't do it because you're going to be doing the right thing. And that's what I've tried to do. Very good. Well, if you could give us your quick thoughts on what you think about all of the citizen involvement with what we're seeing with the citizens that have come out against the steel dust recycling plant and everything that has been occurring at the city council meetings and the other community meetings and community events that have been going on in the last couple weeks. People need to be involved and people need to be paying attention. But also, 
be involved if they want to make a difference to do it in a positive way. If they think something isn't operating quite the way that, that they would like to see it, then get involved and try to make a positive difference. Sure. Be a part of the solution. Don't be a part of the problem. And sometimes what happens, Chris, if, if, if we're not careful, we all become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. I've always been very open. I was very open when I was in the General Assembly. I answered every letter that came to me from one of my constituents personally. And the people that are listening to you today that got a letter that they sent to me when I was in the General Assembly, they know that they got something back. Sure. I also found ways to do that as mayor. When you came in here today, there wasn't any police officer yeah. out there to, to screen you. Right. There wasn't any door you had to go through. There wasn't any gate. I opened up the third floor of City Hall yeah. to where people have access to the mayor's office. I also, the second Tuesday of every month, I, I open up my office up here to what I call five minutes with the mayor that people can come up here and meet with me to talk to me about any personal issue that they have. Sure. And they can do it privately and in a way that they don't have to feel intimidated. One of the things that I learned when I was in the General Assembly, and one of the reasons I started the five minutes with the mayor, Chris, was that you had to be very careful sometimes when you when you hosted town hall meetings yep. because a good elderly man and woman or a good person or even a good child may come to that meeting and they have something that they want to say to their legislator or to their mayor or to their city council member, whoever it is, and they get shouted down, so they just sit down and shut up. That's one of the reasons that I that I opened my office, and that if people want me to come to a neighborhood association meeting to answer questions, I do. I go to senior citizens meetings. I go to church meetings, whatever, simply to answer questions. Now, one of the things that I do demand is let's have it in a very comfortable Poor way. respectful way. I like the way people got involved in the WSP conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that that was very important. I'm still not sure that we know all the facts to it, right, right wrong, or indifferent. But the citizens spoke. And what I uh, recommended to WSP was probably the best thing for everybody is for all of us to move on. And that's what we've done. But I do believe that it's important. I believe they need to attend meetings. That yeah. they, they can do it respectfully. Listen to your podcast. We try to make as many of our meetings available on our social media as we can through the uh, Channel 60, which is Comcast, and what, Channel 90 or 99 yeah. is AT&T. We try to make them available. It's great to see people wanting to be involved, but I think that the key critical part of it is, is to be involved in a positive way to make a positive difference. Very good, very good. And I just want to keep people informed that your Tuesdays with the mayor are on... The second Tuesday of each month, and it's from 4 to 6 p.m. up here at City Hall. We're coming close to the end of our time together, and I feel as though I do have to ask, is there currently any statement that you can make, or is there anything that you would have to say, reference the allegations of corruption and the FBI investigation currently ongoing into the city of Muncie, the officials in the city of Muncie, your administration, or businesses connected to the city of Muncie. There's nothing I can say. The day that all of this is over and they tell me that I can say something, I'm more than happy to sit down and talk all day and answer any and every question. Here's the only thing that, I, that I'll say. There's times that you may make policy mistakes, and everybody's going to do that if you're working hard to try and change things and make a, a difference in your communities or in your country or whatever it is. 
The big challenge is how you handle those mistakes. I think I have. If you want to talk about some of the issues that I've dealt with right here internally in City Hall, you can look at some of the changes that we've made internally and things are, I believe, are, are much better for the citizens of Muncie today. Uh, I tell my kids this all the time growing up. You're going to meet challenges and there's going to be circumstances where you may make mistakes because of the pressures that, that you're under. It's how you handle those mistakes and then move forward in your life. And I hope the citizens of Muncie have appreciated what I've tried to do. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very proud of where our community's at today compared to what it was just a few years ago. And I, I only see good things for our community. We've got great people here. The people here make a tremendous difference in this community. Absolutely. And how they, and how they want to move things forward. And I, again, I've been very blessed to serve this community and be a part of it. And if I knew to then what I know today, we're there have been things that probably I wouldn't have made mistakes, probably. But there's nothing I can do about that. That's history. But again, all I can tell you is if you're interested, if the day ever comes that I know <laughs> that I can speak freely and openly and my attorney says, go for it, then yes. I'll sit down and talk all day long. Very good. And I will be holding you to that. I will definitely want a chance to sit down with you when you can speak on everything. Let me ask you this. Are you being admonished not to say anything by the FBI investigators, by your attorneys, or by both? Only at the advice of my attorneys. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying there. Very yeah. good. Knowing what you know, would you still be sitting here? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've loved what I've had the opportunity to do, Chris. I, I mean, the 42 and a half years I served on that fire department, I can't tell you five days out of that 42 and a half years that I didn't look forward to going in there every day. The same way with the General Assembly. And then having the opportunity to to do what I've done for soon to be eight years, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether you like me or dislike me, agree with some of my things. Nobody can question the changes that we've made in our infrastructure, our accessibility for people with disabilities, our people of color, having a fairer, more open community for people of all ages, of all religions, of all sexual orientations. I think Muncie is in a very, very special place heading into 2020. And I'm not sorry to not be a part of it because I will be a part of it in some sure. way or another because I've got grandchildren in school here, a family that's ingrained in being a part of Muncie. So, yeah. Very good. That's probably a good place to go ahead and end for today. I want to thank you, Mayor Dennis Tyler, the mayor of the city of Muncie, Indiana, for sitting down and talking with us today. Thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to us a little bit about where you have came from and where you think that the city of Muncie is heading, talking to us a little bit about what might be considered your legacy, and talking about some of the ups and downs and really answering some questions. I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk with you. I do want to say, whenever the day comes that you can answer questions and talk at length about the FBI investigation and everything that has occurred during these last three and a half, four years, I do want to take you up on that. But I want to say today, thank you for sitting down and talking with me and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. And, and uh, I, I really appreciate 
the thoughtful questions together on what we're trying to provide with this basic life support in the city of Muncie. That's important for people to listen and understand what we're really trying to do and not necessarily what they're reading. Very good. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Perception. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. You're listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher Bilbrick. All right, folks. Well, that was my interview with Mayor Dennis Tyler. Like I said, I didn't kick in the door asking where the bodies are buried. That's not how you do an interview. It wasn't that type of interview in the first place. It was a starting the dialogue and a hello, how are you, how do you do, Will you talk with me in hopes that at a later date we might be able to sit down and get some good information out of the mayor? Keep in mind, he's only in office for four more months. I feel like the interview went well, and he gave some information that I don't think the Star Press has been letting him express And now you, the public, specifically in Muncie, can decide what you think about it. For those of you outside of Muncie, say you live in Winchester or you live in Indianapolis, you can listen to that and you can get an idea of who we're dealing with, a little bit about what's been occurring, and how I approach that. So I thank you all for listening today, specifically the ones that weren't keen on this interview. I appreciate everybody who stuck around and who's given this interview a chance. I will be back on Saturday with the 35th episode, and it will be a show that everybody can enjoy, except those that participate in corruption. I appreciate you all for listening and for spreading the show's information and spreading the show with others. Our listener base is increasing each and every episode, so thank you for that. And of course, you know where to tell everybody to find us on all major podcast hosting sites and all the minor ones as well, but we can always be found at the home station of perception.fireside.fm. God bless each and every one of you. Until next time, take care of one another, be safe, engage your officials, make your community the best place that it can be, attempt to better your local governments, through your citizen involvement. And if you're keeping track on the Bilberry Inns countdown, we have five days until whatever happens, happens that makes Bilberry end. Remember the mysterious message that we got as of the recording of this episode at 8.45 p.m. on Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. We have five days until the first, which is when Bilberry is supposed to end. Don't know what the hell that means, but I'll look forward to talking to you on Saturday when we'll just have one day left. Until next time, see y'all real soon. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality.
You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com. Or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember, perception Perception is is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.